Hmm? We're just going to do a disclaimer. Yeah. Hey everyone, welcome back to League of Josh podcast. Today, Kendra and I talk about some relatively sensitive information and I'm just going to turn it over to Kendra so she can talk about uh, a little bit of a disclaimer and maybe some trigger warnings. Yeah, guys, thanks for listening today. Just want you all to know that there w- will be some discussion today um, of topics that can be triggering um, in regards of sexualized violence. And there are lots of resources available, so please feel free to check out the bio below um, to access any of those. And know that you're not alone. Yeah. And at the end, there will also be, we'll discuss a few resources, so that'll just be um, tethered into the conversation, but as well, there will also be a lot of resources within the bio, and yeah. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact myself, um, as I am willing to have those conversations with you. Do you want to drop your email right now, or best means of communication? Yeah, you can email me at K M C. F I N C H at gmail.com. K McFinch at gmail.com. Yay! <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Um, until next time. Thanks, Kenny. Enjoy. This is okay. Yeah. Are you going to be able to sit like that? Yeah, I kind of like this better. Okay. I don't like leaning back as much. I really dislike leaning back. I don't like these chairs because. Yeah, these are uncomfortable chairs. That one's my reading chair. Okay. Um, I use them almost exclusively for this now, mm-hmm. but I kind of like to sit cross-legged more now because mm-hmm. I can actually do it. Um, it just well took a it. it just took a long time <laughs> and a lot of pain. But um, yeah, I don't like how loungy they are. Like, I really want to. I actually consider bringing this stool to classes because I hate I hate getting halfway through the class and realizing that I'm like my upper back is on the back of the chair and my lower back is on like the very far end of the seat and my posture is just horrible and I'm basically laying down and I look like a slash the new the new chairs in old main are the worst they have like baskets underneath them and you can't go anywhere and then the tables all have these like metal protrusions that go down so if you ever strain your legs out you just like dummy your shin yeah like I have a cut from it oh my god get that checked yeah, I know. But yeah, I <laughs> I think posture is something that's like an unconscious. I think posture is an unconscious energy thing as well. Mm. I mean, we talked about that, but nobody we will ever hear that. Because I, I have terrible posture when I'm sitting. Most people think I'm a solid two inches shorter than I am. <laughs> Everything's Avery's taller than me, for the record. We're the same height. Are you guys? Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. You got to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. Oh, my God. She reaches higher than me, though. Long arms. My ape index is not up there. I wonder if you'd survive if we weren't in a thriving society. Ooh, natural selection. I feel confident. You're a one percenter. I'm a one percenter, which is, a, like, sad. We had a much riskier conversation earlier about this. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think um, posture is a really unconscious energy thing as well. I think people with bad posture tend to be a little bit more of energy suckers. That's a good point, yeah. But that's something we were talking about earlier was energy givers versus energy takers and 
what makes them, I don't know. Some people's are. Yep. Some people's are. And, and I think that people that just are energy givers are more so the ones that are consistently giving energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's others that like can do both that fluctuate a little bit more. Yeah. It's funny. I think that even speech, I don't think is associated with that because I tend to speak a lot less now than I used to, Mm -hmm. but I still find the energy of the room stays consistent as it used to, or even it feels warmer actually. Hmm. Like when, I don't know. Okay. So I'll go over a little bit of my theology behind this Mm -hmm. because it sounds really absurd it sounds really mumbo Mm jumbo-y which i think it is mumbo jumbo-y but still so i think that um i think that energy is a really mumbo jumbo word that people use to describe more of um unconscious perception of people's body language tone of voice um posture like there i think there are lots of things that contribute to it but i think that it's um I think that it's a phrase used quite often that people don't actually know the reasons why, but I've just been trying to think of reasons why people are perceived as having warm energy or cold energy. Um, Like in Asia, lots of people talk about having good energy, good and bad karma, which I think that that, I think the idea of karma has really gotten away in Asia. Mm. I think that it's been really diluted to something that it's not, which like we can talk about later, but, um, (laughs) but I think that, energy is a huge thing that is just unconscious perception of people around you. And in some way, I think it's empathizing. I think that people who can feel uh, people who, I guess that's another thing. People who attract energy a lot or feel energy really heavily are people that, um, they can perceive a lot more and empathize a lot more. And do you think they're more in tune with their own energy as well? I'm not sure actually, because I think there are lots of people that can empathize super well, but don't have a great grasp on their personal feelings. Okay. Like I think a lot of people can experience other people's energy and be like, oh, that person's really sad or that person's really happy, but I don't, I'm not sure if they have a huge grasp on their energy. I think empathy is to some point a little bit more natural. I mean, I, I wouldn't go to the, I mean... At, to some point, nature and nurture always, but I don't know how strictly genetic it is. Um, but but I think there is... Um, I, I don't know if it's a... Oh, God. Why? No, please, no. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, I... Uh, <laughs> I... Why would he do that? <laughs> um... Where was I? Um, thanks. Um, <laughs> I I don't necessarily think that energy is... I don't think perceiving energy is the same as being able to perceive your own energy. Mm-hmm. I think lots of people are more in touch with external stimulus than they are with internal stimulus. Right. Uh, what were we talking about? Energy? Um, energy. We were talking about energy. What were we talking about before that? What was the catalyst into uh, energy? Well, we were kind of just recapping what we talked about before. The th- we don't know what happened on our little memory card there. Josh didn't delete enough. But, um, but, <laughs> um, before that we were talking about anxiety, depression, 
and differentiating between like feeling anxiety and depression versus having like a chemical imbalance and then like how do you measure that um right and we were talking about energy in terms of and karma Mm. um yeah being maybe overused or energy being a term like over-encompassing and like how we use it as yeah, we use energy, like, generally, but, like, what do we actually mean when we're talking about energy? You've been right. thinking about that, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually think that's, a that's like, it's something I haven't really thought of before, but um, how you can be... Do you want to recap our whole depression thing? I don't think we really we ever... Did. We actually... Yeah, I mean, we didn't really get... We were starting it. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, we were talking about... Well, I was I was bringing up the point of like how I think you can feel depression, um, or you can feel depressed, or you can feel anxious or feel anxiety, um, and I think that that's different than having clinical depression or having clinical anxiety. And we were trying to find I I think we came to kind of maybe a a better example of it when we say that you can feel depressed or feel anxious due to a circumstance in your life. So, like, being diagnosed with a terminal illness mm-hmm. might cause you to become depressed and feel really depressed, um, which would still probably be due to a chemical imbalance, but right. a situational chemical imbalance versus, like, being depressed when everything in your life is going just fine or just well and you can't find something that will bring you happiness. Um, maybe that's more the in my opinion the clinical version of it Mm -hmm. um so like everything in my life is pretty awesome right now so if i can't find something to live for something to be happy about um that would be depression like i would have clinical depression whereas if my grandma died and i was feeling very depressed i was feeling depressed Mm -hmm. yeah i think i think it's a weird difference as well between um i guess something like being diagnosed as terminally ill um where do you label that as depression versus where do you label that as negative emotion because i think that i overuse the terms anxiety and depression a lot Mm -hmm. i think a lot of number one is because i think that they're way more prevalent than we give them um credit for but at Mm -hmm. the same time i don't think it's necessarily like a bad thing i think people have always felt anxiety and depression but now we can talk about it a lot more and mm-hmm. there are outlets and stuff, which is really, really cool. But at the same time, I think that they are becoming overused in terms of using negative emotion and the human the human capability to perceive like something that's something bad that's happening in someone's life um, and like actually worrying about something that you should tangibly be worrying about. Mm-hmm. And I think that we misconstrue that with clinical depression and yeah. clinical anxiety. I totally agree. And so that's something we I maybe touched on before we cut out as well. It was like um, the movement of like mental health awareness is awesome. Mm-hmm. But now it's got to come to a point where like, okay, why are you feeling this? Or like, what is the root cause? And then like, do we deal with that on like a medication scale? Or do we deal with that with other coping mechanisms? And like, I think a large part of it is like people 
wanting to deal with it and wanting to, and I mean, I don't think that anybody like wants to feel depressed or wants to feel anxious, but I think that in certain circumstances, um, again, something maybe I should be careful about saying, but in certain circumstances, I think that we need to, okay, like what can I do? to help myself in the situation, Mm -hmm. whether that is going to find help, um, counselors or whatnot, huge advocate for counselors. Um, or do I need to go to a doctor and maybe I need someone to help me go to a doctor because I can't go to a doctor or do I just need to do some, try a different avenue, like physical activity or to play with my diet or something like what is in my locus of control? And, like, really grab life by the balls in terms of, like, maybe. (laughs) But, yeah, I think that maybe people have more control over... I think people have more control over their lives than they want to accept ownership for. Mm -hmm. And, therefore, we can use, like, mental health as a crutch a lot of the time. Um, And not that it's not an excuse or not a a good enough reason to be an excuse, if that makes sense. Yeah. But it's something that can be overcome. You just have to explore what that's going to be for you because it's going to be different for everybody, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. So it's hard to be like, oh, you should try seeing a counselor. Because for me, that really worked. And like that really helped me like overcome a lot of things that I've been going through. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that I always recommend to people because I'm like an auditory processor, like like to speak through things. but hey, maybe like for you, you gotta go like I don't know, maybe some like naturopath medicinal route or you know, like everybody's got yeah. their like mojo they gotta jive with. Spin three times with lavender and then <laughs> brush it on your forehead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you think the difficulties were with seeing a counselor initially? Oh Because I like when I first started seeing a counselor, it took me two years of my coach. Like it took me two years of Pat occasionally being like maybe you should see a therapist mm-hmm. maybe and it wouldn't even be like you should go see a therapist but it would just be a, like a passing in conversation thing like yeah i'm seeing a therapist it's awesome like maybe you should do it mm-hmm. and i was like yeah like i'll go do it one day and then one day there was just like a snapper i was like i need a therapist um okay so for me i don't think it's a unique circumstance cuz i think that it happens to a lot of people but for me um, I had like I experienced a personal traumatic event, so I was raped uh, about two plus years ago, and I like was very confused and didn't really know what happened. Couldn't like tangibly like couldn't even think the word rape um, for a solid like year and a half after it happened because mm-hmm. um, I was very confused. Um, and so for me, it took like disclosing in a very misconstrued, like, confused way. Like, I don't know what happened, but, like, I didn't want that, but, like, I like I don't know what I did that made him think that I want... I just, like, don't understand, like, a lot of confusion um, to some very, like, trusted people that provided me with, like, really positive social responses. And those social responses and, like, their connection is what ultimately helped me like go see a counselor which is like 
three and a half, four months after um, the incident happened. Um, and now, like, my counselor is so awesome. I love her. Um, I talk to her about everything in my mm-hmm. life. And I think that um, the cool thing is that it's not like, okay, maybe she's helped me within my recovery process of this traumatic event. But she's also helped me, like, understand so many other things about why I responded to this traumatic event or why I respond to other situations based on my, like, previous life or my other, like, instances that I've put and put into, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, I don't know. But I, like, really encourage everybody to, like, whether or not you think you're going through something or you know you're going through something – um, I just think it's like a a neutral ground kind of that can be very beneficial um, in your personal growth as like a person, yeah. which is like what we're here to kind of do. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Why are we here? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Ooh>. God. <laughs> Holy shit. Um yeah we're all gonna die um yeah i think that's a really good point i think the point of just we're we're just here to become better us um i had a really cool conversation with kobe our rookie the other day Mm -hmm. not the other day it was like a month ago but he talked about wanting to be great Mm. and i just don't think it's a i don't think it's a this is philosophical more so but i don't think it's possible to be for a person to consider themselves great, um, at least for me, mm-hmm. I don't think that I'll ever consider myself as great just because there's always more. Like I always just want so much more out of me and the people that I surround myself with that I just don't, like I don't think it's unhealthy, but I don't think super highly of myself just because I'm like, <laughs> I just know that there's more. Like I, I was like the person that I was before there's just been so much growth as to who I am now, even from the summer and before the summer and last year at this point, there's just been so much growth that if I ever saw myself as great, I think that I would, I think that would put bumpers into my, uh, into my lane. I think that, um, I think another of looking at it is would be like, okay, I think maybe in that sense, are you terming that you're that much greater than others? Right? Like, what is he talking about in that sense? Because, like, I think I'm great, but I think you're great, and I think those people there are great, and I think, like, as humans, I think humans are pretty awesome. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't think I'm my best self, or, like, maybe I am my best self today, and I'm striving to be my better self tomorrow, and, like, my best 23-year-old self when I turn 23. Yeah. Right? But I would, I just hope that, like, people are trying to become their best self mm-hmm. whether it's for like an internal purpose or hey maybe it's for your like political gain or whatever else you're trying to become your best self because you think that'll lead you to wherever you want to be but right at the end of the day you can't really define yourself being greater than anybody else because you can't directly compare to anybody else right yeah it's all relative morgan was talking about that with physical testing 
she came over after you guys physical testing was like i did so great like i did really really good and the whole conversation was based around her comparisons of how she did last year Mm -hmm. which i thought was really really cool yeah she was like i did better in this and this like all my numbers went up which is i think is a much better comparison than like deadlifting more than someone else on your team Mm -hmm. like did you improve totally are you improving i think yeah yeah. it's hard with athletes because that competitive spirit too yeah totally like me myself i'm like i'm going into this team for the last like three maybe four years like since my first year every year i've been like i'm going to be the fittest person on the team which is like me being my fittest self Mm -hmm. whether or not i'm fitter than everybody else like Eh, who knows yeah but i think that the drive of like me comparing myself to others being like okay like if i'm at my best can i beat this person at their best and i think that it would mean like way less if i knew they weren't trying their best yeah does that make sense yeah um if you walk into a room of eight-year-olds and you yeah and i'm like oh i can do five more push-ups than you I don't know. (laughs) And I think for me, it's been more of a process of like, um, working on things that I'm not good at. Mm -hmm. So like in terms of physical testing, which is really kind of meaningless, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, we don't do the beep test anymore, but my first two or three years when we did it, like I knew that I could show up to the beep test and rock it out because that's what I was good at. So in order for me to be like deemed more fit in terms of the team, I need to be better at my speed and power. So like my sprinting and my jumping and my like strength things. Right. So then like, that's what I work towards being better at every summer and like every season going back into it is okay for me to be the best year. I need to be better at my worst aspects, which is in turn making me my best self. Mm -hmm. Mm Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you've done that a lot, like you, you yourself have done that a lot in other aspects of well. Like I think you've taken on a lot of volunteering things and public organizing things <laughs> that you, I don't think you would have done in your first year. Oh, heck no. Like now you do like so much cool shit. Thank you. That you're like a huge advocate for a lot of stuff. And yeah, I think that, I think that you've like gone above and beyond just by doing things that you're not comfortable with. Yeah, that was, like, something I think I did unconsciously last year, Mm -hmm. whereas this year, this summer, I've taken a little bit of a, like, perspective change and, like, embraced it. I was in an uncomfortable situation. Um, I moved to Kelowna to work a job that I was excited to work for, but I did not know what the, like, how how does one define a park interpreter? I don't know. Um, and the first day on our orientation at the job, I'm sitting in this room with these other students. There's probably like 20 of us and we all have different roles and they're all so amazing. <laughs> the four other, the three other girls that had the same job title as me. Um, one of them's like, I want to go to med school and I'm studying to be like, I'm in bio, like neurobiology and psychology Mm -hmm. i have a double major um the other girl wanted to go into uh she wants to do med as well and she's a microbiologist and the other one is like 
I'm so passionate about rocks. Like I love geology. Cool. Right. And I'm yeah. like, my degree is in general studies and you guys all seem way more like aspirational. And it's not that I don't aspire to like achieve things. Mm-hmm. Um, but my aspirations and like achievements in quotations are different than theirs. Like in that sense. Right. Um, based on what makes me happy. Like, oh my gosh, it's so awesome that rocks make you happy. Like, that doesn't do it for me. Um, but that was really uncomfortable coming back to what I was saying before, right? That yep. was uncomfortable for me because I, like, didn't necessarily agree with some of their opinions or, like, their reasons for being there. Um, and I think being part of the wellness center was another thing that made me uncomfortable because then again, we get there and people the first question that you always get asked is like, why, what brings you here? Like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in a room with probably like eight out of 12 people that are like, I'm here because I wanted this position on campus or I'm here because it seemed like a good opportunity to put on my resume. Mm-hmm. And I'm like super uncomfortable because I'm here because I want to help people and I want to like feel like I'm making an impact in other people's lives which at first I was really frustrated about. And I was like, oh, why am I doing this? Like, I'm not even here for the same reason that other people are. But then I like, that was like such a perfect, both of those situations were such perfect examples of why we work in teams. Because there's a whole lot of things in the wellness center that I have zero interest in doing that person A, B, or C is totally willing to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what made us a cohesive unit. And, like, there's a lot of things that I was super into doing that they probably had zero interest in. And, likewise, in my job, like, oh, my gosh, I learned this summer that I hate research. I don't like researching things. Yeah. But I love interacting with people, and I love, like, making that connection with them. Whereas there is a couple, like, of the other girls that were, like, I'm so into this research and loving that part of it. Um, And we're not nearly as comfortable talking to people and delivering it Mm -hmm. and that's what made us like such a so i think that embracing that uncomfortable situation of like new job and like okay respecting that we're all here for the betterment of our group allowed me to embrace the other uncomfortable situations that i was put into in a city where i knew nobody else except for my aunt and my cousin Mm -hmm. um and it I just felt like way more comfortable with who I was by doing like knowing that I could do these uncomfortable things, you know? Yeah. It's like, Oh, like cool. Like I can be in this weird work situation and like maybe I will try like lead rock climbing with probably too little knowledge, but Hey, I survived. Oh my <laughs> God. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to free solo this rock. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And we never hear from Kendra again. Yeah. I think that, I think something that something that people lack when they're young is positive reinforcement from putting yourselves into those uncomfortable situations and like really cool positive reinforcement. I was watching a video earlier this week of this kid that was in, it was like some karate class Mm -hmm. and his whole dojo started chanting for him to um, hammer kick this little piece of wood. And he just like couldn't do it, couldn't do it. And, they just like wouldn't let him not do it. 
his instructor was like, no, you have to get it with your heel. Come on, do it. You can. And everyone started chanting his name. And then once he got it, everyone freaked out. And I just think that's a really, po- like a really cool positive reinforcement that a kid got that I think that'll change his life for forever. For Whereas sure. I think that doesn't happen a lot. I think that a lot of the times, um, I think especially in athletics, people are more concerned about looking better than other people so they don't enforce people to do as much because it's mm. like this weird and I've totally done it before of just like someone in your position does something really cool and everyone's like that's awesome and you're like that's, that's okay it's not it's not the coolest thing you downplay thing. it yeah totally awesome. and, yeah. and but now I try to just like build into people as much as I can because I think that if you build into people people build into you and it's a positive feedback loop and yeah it's really really cool but I think that like you said having getting positively reinforced for doing those things is what makes it really, really cool and is what makes you do it more. Mm-hmm. Like I think that if you were to put yourself out there and get like thwarted down and not do well and not have positive reinforcement, then it would be a different kinder that I'd be talking to. I think like a large part of like, I feel fortunate for um, a large aspect that has allowed me to like embrace that was when I, when I was growing up, um, no matter what I did, whether it was played really competitive tennis for a long time. Cool. Hate that sport now. Um, Never played. <laughs> thanks, mom. Uh, <laughs> um, or a test at school or a soccer game or whatever I was doing. Um, my parents, especially my dad, my mom as well, but especially my dad, um, you know, you come home, like, how'd it go? Like, hi, is okay. Like, oh, like, yeah, like, I got, I got a B or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's a test. And I was like, okay, well, like, was that your best? Like, was that the best you could do? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, yeah, like, I, I really tried my hardest. Like, like, that's awesome, man. Like, you should be really proud of yourself. Like, a B is awesome. Like, that's great. Or like, a D is awesome. If that's a, my hardest work that I put into doing, like, I poured my heart and soul into that soccer game or that tennis match or that test. My parents would always be like so proud of me. Whereas like on the flip side of that, I come home and I'd be like, Oh yeah, I got like 80 or got an A plus. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, same, same question. Like, was that your best work? And if I was like, no, he'd be like, Oh man, like I'm pretty disappointed. Like, I think like, I think you can do better than that next time. Like, why didn't you try your hardest sort of thing? Um, and I think that it's something that I've grown into in the last couple of years as well. Like you're saying how I'm a different Kenny than you met in your first year, mm-hmm. which I think is totally true. Um, I think a lot of it's come from like a confidence that I found in like who I am as a person now. Because um, <laughs> I was thinking about it. I'm in this photography class. Yeah. And the very first day of this photography class, I show up and I'm like kind of shitting my pants because everybody else is a fine arts major. And I sit down in this class and everybody seems like, okay, maybe not confident, but they're like their own individual and they're okay with that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like self-conscious a little bit. Like, oh man, like, am I okay with who I am? All these people seem really cool. Um, and then 
we learned that it's film photography mm-hmm. and here I'm thinking I signed up for digital photography. So I'm like, oh my God, I don't have a film camera. What is analog film like photography? Oh my gosh. And like literally if I was in my first year, I would have left that class like 15 minutes in and be like, I'd go to the bathroom and like left and drop the class and never gone back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had like this internal debate the entire first like four hour lecture. I was like sitting there. I'm like, like, don't leave. Like, this is a good opportunity for growing. You're not doing this because you want a good grade or you like need that grade to get anything. Like you are doing this because like, think of how cool it would be to be able to take sick pictures. Like think about how much you're going to appreciate that in five years when you're like, hopefully driving down the coast of the Americas. Like think about how awesome you're going to feel when you can like, thank God I took that class and can take cool picture. But, like, I flipped back and forth for that no joke the entire three hours. And I was, like, even after the class, I was, like, I don't even know if I'm going to go back. Like, I've gone back. I've learned a lot so far. Cool. Nice. <laughs> Proud of you. <laughs> but, like, there's no way in my first year that I would have stuck around mm-hmm. at all. So, that's kind of cool. I'm, like, proud of that for sure. Nice. <laughs> I think internal dialogue is a really, really cool thing. Uh-huh. I think the phrasing of internal dialogue is even cooler. Mm-hmm. Um I've found that when I, when I'm doing things that don't enable me, I mm-hmm. tend to use you a lot more. Mm. And when I'm doing, when I am having enabling internal dialogue, it tends to be I, mm-hmm. like I can do this, I can do this. Or if I don't think I can do something, it's like, you can't do this. Right. There's no way you can do this. And I think a lot of that's projecting realities into other people, mm-hmm. which is something I've been thinking about like, a lot lately injuries like a lot lately yeah um because like any like that i think that's where this thought started to stem from because obviously injury is a air quotes uh shitty thing mm-hmm. um but i wonder at what point we are who we are like what makes you you like what makes you who you are and what makes you different than someone else mm-hmm. and i think that what creates a little bit of our collective unconscious and our also our collective consciousness and also our culture is the fact that we project lots of things onto one another and at some point external thoughts external voices become internal thoughts mm-hmm. so a lot of the time when i talk to people about this they're like oh that's really shitty and they'll say it over and over and over again and i battle it every time like you know it is what it is um I'll just list off a few of my classic uh, phrases, but it's like, it, it is what it is. It can be a good experience if I take it this way. Um, I can learn a lot. I have more time for other things. Um, it's teaching me to learn without a hand. So if I don't ever have a hand one day, I can type better with one hand. And um, I think it's also really interesting how, in terms of like a neuropsychology way, how, how we change and how we adapt really, really quickly because of injury and other things, just mm-hmm. how quickly the human body adapts. But with injury, it's a really tangible adaptation. Totally. Like how quickly I can just stop. Because like if I move my pinky at all, I can feel like where the pins are, where the wires are, everywhere that it's broken. Yeah. But I've gotten to a point where I can just leave it in the exact same spot and move my other fingers, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, but people always say that it's really, really shitty. And I wonder how quickly how much you have to fight at number one to be who you are and then how quickly you can actually just become another person's thought pattern 
just based off what people tell you. So like people tell me this is shitty. How quickly do I start to perceive the situation as shitty? Whereas before I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is like just a fun experience. It's just another part of life. It's a drop in the bucket and you get to choose whether the drop is mud or ink or just pure water. Like you can make an experience good, I think. And that's like the more pure water, but you can also make an experience quite horrible by dropping mud into it because, but you get to choose that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that they're the same level of commitment and, um, mental expression or mental, um, like basically mental exercise. I think it's a lot harder to make a positive situation out of a shitty situation. It's really easy to curl up in a ball be like life's kicking this shit out of me. This sucks. And just wait for it to be over. But to actually accept your situation and grow from it, I think mm-hmm. is quite difficult. hundred percent. Um, and, but yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of like, what makes you, you, why are you the way you are? Why are you different than other people? And I think that a lot of it comes down to just being conscious, Mm -hmm. not, not in the sense of like, I'm alive and awake and all animals have consciousness, but being conscious of your actions Mm -hmm. and things that are happening around you. There are tons of people that I think that we talked a little bit about it with energy. And I think lots of people have a really negative impact on other people because they're not conscious of their own, um, their actions Mm -hmm. like you're just not conscious of your actions and you make people feel really poorly about themselves and just by like saying stuff or doing really subtle things that like being conscious I think is the ability to look at yourself and understand who you want to be and make make decisions that might go against the condition reinforcement like being able to say like addiction is a huge thing like being able to look at a bottle of beer And be like, no, I'm not going to drink that. Whereas every other time you would have come home and just like drank the beer because that's what you always do. But I think consciousness is being able to observe who you are and who you want to be and try to bridge that gap a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's something I've been researching a lot. Do you think that there's a point where someone can be too aware of themselves? Yeah, I think that makes me really anxious. Like that's a huge... That's like the main reason that I get anxious is because I think that I just become hyper aware of my actions Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh God, I made that person feel bad or like tons of other stuff. That's just one example, but that's like something I think that I have like struggling. I've always struggled with, Mm -hmm. um, is okay. Maybe I'm not like, I'm definitely not perfectly aware of how myself all the time. But I think a lot of the time I am too aware of my actions yep. and then I overanalyze how they've impacted other people. Yeah. So like with my current roommate, Morgan, love her bits. Um, like I've been really like there have been a lot of times where I've been really struggling because I'm like, oh, like I just really don't want her to feel excluded and like. I feel really bad. Like I'm going to go hang out with my other friends and like, she doesn't want to come. Like, does she not feel like she can hang out with us? Like, Oh my gosh, my mind starts spiraling as to why she possibly wouldn't want to come hang out with us. Mm -hmm. And I've like definitely breached the topic with her before because like, got to put yourself in that uncomfortable situation. True that. Um, I'm like, Hey, like, are you cool? Like, you know, you're always invited to come hang out with us. And she's like, dude, like, yeah, like I'm totally fine. I'm great. I'm like, I love hanging out by myself. Right? And so for her, it was nothing. Like she she was perfectly happy hanging out alone, and here I am like thinking that I am like diabolically affect, aff- like affected her life by like deciding to go hang out with other people. 
Yeah. When really it affected her life at all. And it was probably like a good decision for me as well. Yeah. So I struggle. And I think I'm, that's something I've like also like overcoming is that like having the confidence to be like, no, like this is what I'm going to do for me, Mm -hmm. which I didn't do for a long time. Everybody's always asked me like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, I want to be happy. Mm-hmm. And then they'd be like, okay, well, what makes you happy? And my answer like, was always making other people happy. And they're like, huh. And now I'm like, that's really shitty because there's no way I can control other people's happiness. Like, I mm-hmm. can only control like how happy I am in situations. Um, and I think that's something that I've kind of uh, realized and like and accepted a little bit more is like, okay, maybe I can do something that's going to, like, bring somebody a little bit more joy or, like, make somebody's day a little bit better. But whether or not they decide to, like, take that and make themselves happy or not, I can't do anything about, right? It's all on them. So, like, I can just be happy that I, like, maybe gave them that opportunity or, hey, like, me not not making this one choice that might have or might not have made someone else's life better made mm-hmm. my life better. So like I have to be happy with that. Right. In itself as well. What do you want to do with your life now? What do you want to I mean, what not what do you want to be when you're older, but like what do you want when you're older? I really want to be a mom. Like cool. <laughs> this is something that I like admitted to myself this summer because um my mom is quite empowered, I would say. My mom has two brothers, like a twin brother and older brother. And so she's very like, I think she's a lot of why I feel very feministic sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like for instance, I was working at this resort. I was working at this five-star wilderness resort with my two cousins, one of which is, one's 10 months older than me and the other is 10 months younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're all really tight. They're like, like my big Oreo. brothers. Sorry. You're like a time Oreo. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, yeah, and so they're like my big brothers. Mm-hmm. And it was me and this one other girl and like 10 boys working and we're doing maintenance, landscaping. And um, this one girl was like, I'm working on flowers. Like I want to paint, like pot the flowers. And I like was so uncomfortable. This is back in my first year. I was like so self-conscious. I was like, I just want to be with my cousins. Like, I don't know anybody else. I'm nervous. Like, I want to hang out with them. Yeah. So I was just going to go, like, and we were taking rocks out of this giant pile of rocks, the rocks that were too big. Mm-hmm. So we're filling up wheelbarrows. And I went to pick up this wheelbarrow. And this one guy's like, hey, 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 like, it's okay. It's okay. I got it. And I was like, it's okay. Like, I can wheel a wheelbarrow. Thank you very much. He's like, no, no, no. Like, it's okay. You're a girl. And I was like, super triggered. I was like, what does that mean what do you mean (laughs) um and i was like no like it's okay i can carry a wheelbarrow kind of thing um and he was like really persistent so i let him carry the wheelbarrow and i brought it up to my cousins later i was like super livid i was like like screw that guy man like why would he think that i couldn't do something like just because i'm female like and i think it was he was a guy from afghanistan maybe or pakistan or something Mm -hmm. so maybe like culturally a little bit of impact there. Um, and my cousin made a comment. He's like, God, Kendra, like, don't be so, pe- like, feminist. Like, it doesn't really matter, okay? 
And I was like, it doesn't really matter, but it's also like, I don't know. I'm physically strong, fit, like I can carry a wheelbarrow. Right. Why can't I carry a wheelbarrow sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that feminism is often associated with wanting to have a career and provide, um, like financially or whatever, which I do think there's value in. However, um, I lived this summer with my aunt and my uncle, um, and they have three sons, so the same guys that I was with. And aside from like judging me for possibly being a feminist, one of them, um, <laughs> uh, I think that they're like astounding young men that are su- super respectful and kind and responsible and caring and yeah, just like admirable. And um, I think that is barred none like got to do with my aunt and how she raised them because mm-hmm. she was a stay-at-home mom and my grandmother is probably the coolest person i know um it's kind of an interesting dynamic because my grandfather was the chief justice of british columbia for like a very long time mm-hmm. and so everybody's like well like lance like lance is he runs the show like yeah, he's, like, obviously, like, he's a pretty successful, cool dude. And the funny thing is, is that, like, Judy, my grandma, she runs the show, man. <laughs> like, she, and it's because she's so aware and she's just so special. She knows exactly everything that's going on in the room and can read the room so perfectly and, like, knows exactly. Yeah, she's, like, oh, my gosh, she would be such an amazing politician. <laughs> um but she also, when I think about amazing humans, I think of my father being probably, he's like the most patient person I know. Um, and then this is like a, like I'm tooting my own family's horn here fest on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I just like gra- ha- got so much um, respect and admiration for my aunt and my grandmother this summer. Um, and like, I think that at this point I'm like what I want to contribute is I want to raise like really awesome people. It's Mm. like, I want to be a really awesome mom. And I think that I would be okay for going my career to make some really awesome people. Um, and I think that by foregoing that career, like obviously giving the means that I would be like financially capable to do that, that 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 in my situation um like be able to raise my children and still do things that like still be active um which is something that I really value and yeah I just think that that's what I want to do I think that would bring me so much joy um I want to travel the world too because I think that we can learn so much from other people and yeah. How do I know that I want to live in... I think British Columbia is an amazing place. How do I know I want to live here um, if I haven't been anywhere, like, everywhere else yet? How do I know there's not somewhere better if I haven't been there? Right. Um, but, yeah, those are a couple things that I want to do. Um, I don't know. I just want to keep being someone that positively impacts others in whatever way I can. Um, and I think that by, like, raising children, I can do that. Like, very tangibly, at mm-hmm. least. It's not to say there's not, like, millions of other ways you can do so. 
yeah. Man, that's so beautiful. That's so cool. Oh. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> being, a, being a parent would just be like the coolest thing ever. Yeah, like 10 years. I don't want to get pregnant yet, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give me a few years to like live out my other dreams. Um like seeing the world and like I really I want to be good at mountain biking and I really want to be good at rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Um and the person that I'm seeing right now really wants to be good at surfing. So I'm like, surfing kind of scares me, but I think that would be pretty fun to be good at surfing. Yeah. It would be pretty sweet. So I'll take up some surfing as well while I'm at it. Maybe some other like adventure th- sports because all I've known for my entire 17 out of 22 years is organized sport, which mm-hmm. is pretty confined. So I'm pretty excited to explore other things. Nature sports are really cool. Different level of connection. Yeah. It's not necessarily with people as much, but with like a maybe greater than us. <sighs> Brings you back to the spirituality and like religion aspect maybe of our conversation earlier. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think, I think connectedness to the greater, like whatever greater is i guess um i kind of have a theory of just macro and micro Mm -hmm. and how that's just a rule that's just like a constant of reality is that everything's macro and for every macro there's micro Mm -hmm. and for every micro there's more micro okay obviously it's like subatomic levels Mm -hmm. but i just think everything everything has a macro and everything also has a micro Mm -hmm. um there was a really cool there was a really cool picture that I saw of a photo that the Hubble telescope took mm-hmm. um, of all of the universes in the sky of like a particular piece of sky that's just past the moon mm-hmm. and someone outlined it and it looked just like a neuron, which I thought was the coolest thing in the world. Whoa. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, I think you, you alluded to the fact earlier that humans just work so well together on a macro scale. Maybe micro, there's conflict and stuff, just like everything. But macro, the fact that we're all alive right now is amazing. Mm-hmm. And like, there's war and there's like fighting and stuff, but everything works really well. And it's kind of the same with ants. At one point during my summer, I watched um, a colony of ants dismember a beetle that had died in my room for two hours. I'm just like watching these ants just slowly cut this thing up and drag it away and it was just the coolest thing to watch and like this this whole world just needs everything in it mm-hmm. everything that's a part of it is something that it needs whether we perceive it as destructive or um giving creative not mm-hmm. destructive yeah. so creative and destructive whether we perceive it as creative or destructive it's something that the world needs to continue to survive because mm-hmm. it's just adapted that way so mm-hmm. There need to be ants and there need to be like humans and there need to be crows. whales and dolphins and sharks, and, right? crows, like everything. Everything has a meaning. Everything has a purpose. Yeah. And I think that the more time that I spend in nature, the more that I see those things and realize like, yeah, there's no, there's no like good and bad things in the world, but it's just balance. I think you can even go further and say like, um, I think that, okay, maybe I think the native population in Canada has a greater understanding for that Mm -hmm. and a greater appreciation for that. 
Um, cause I think they like embrace it. Like forest fires need to happen. Yeah. It's like, why try and stop them? They're part of nature. Like that's a necessity and there's science to back it up that like succession needs to happen and the ground becomes so much more fertile after a fire because all the nutrients are released back into the ground, which allows the new growth. Mm -hmm. And by trying to prevent it on such a large scale, I think that's why um, in the previous two years we had such a huge flare up was because we were like, no, 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 don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. So then when they finally did happen, it was like, and it was a huge effect. Whereas if we just accept the fact that they're going to happen and like embrace it, like, okay, it's going to happen. And it's going to like go its natural course. Or I mean, obviously with our intervention, it's not going to go its natural course, Mm -hmm. but it's going to happen. And, lots of other things in nature are going to happen and they need to happen. They're happening for a reason. And, but I don't think as humans, I think we believe we have more power than we do to like make things not happen. Yeah. When they're necessary. Even the ego trip of, I use ego trip really lightly because I did a lot of research into, um, like psychoanalytics and ego and all, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's like a huge ego trip of humanity thinking that we're like the be all end all that we're not like we, we tend to separate ourselves from nature a lot of the times mm-hmm. by saying that like humans aren't animals, but like we are We're like people like, I think that, I think that it takes, it takes the ability to understand how much of an animal you are to actually um, like avoid being just like an animal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's like really, really hard to explain, but no, um, that makes sense. Like a, a self understanding of your animalistic characteristics yeah. to make you be less animalistic. I think it's, I think it comes back to the consciousness thing too. Yeah. Like I think that consciousness is a realization of how, how to an extent powerless you are, but also that makes you really powerful. Like once you understand mm-hmm. conditioning factors and, positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement and how you can like become better at things. Mm-hmm. I think that enables you a lot, but it takes you to, it's a really humbling thing. I, for me, it was really humbling to have the realization of like, Oh, I have very, very little control over what I do and how I act. And I think that that realiza- realization mm-hmm. actually gave me a lot more control over how I acted. Yeah, totally. I think that consciousness of your, locus of control is can you take guy pretend that I'm someone else in this podcast can you like make me someone famous this is Arnold the Haggerty homeless guy that lives outside of our apartment (laughs) 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 I have just home with sympathy now after summer you don't have a you don't have a roof you can come sleep on our floor Just want to fit in. Vaping is so bad for you. I see. I'm that's gonna. I'm gonna be like a fifty year old woman. (laughs) Avery and I are just like. (laughs) But then, like, how much? Like, okay, let's talk about hookah. Is it really that much different? Question. Not. People don't do hookah. Comment. Do do hookah? I don't know. People don't. Do you hookah? Participate in hookah as much as they vape. Vape gives you acute lung disease. No vape. OCPD. Yes. Okay, I think I was like, I think that's what she's referring to. Um, Man, I forgot what we were talking about before. 
Um. Okay, we're talking about control. This is like maybe a diversion of our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were talking about control. And for me, I'm like very conscious of how much I like to be in control now. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, so, okay. So our consciousness of our locus of control, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I came to involuntarily. Right. Um, so I mentioned earlier how I was sexually assaulted. Yeah. And I was really, really confused because I like didn't understand or couldn't grasp that that's like what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I like couldn't even think the word rape for like a year after, and then finally, like I maybe okay, like I would, I remember like in my third year. I'd walk to class and in my head, my like monologue, like in my, my self thoughts would be like, you're okay. You were sexually assaulted. You're okay. You were sec- he sexually assaulted you. He sexually assaulted. You're okay. Like you're okay. Like stop thinking about it. Like there's going to be a day where you don't think about it. There's going to be a day where you don't think about it. You were sexually assaulted. It's okay. And like that had to be like my, my mental like self talk. Right. Like, pfft. And, like, a lot of it was totally involuntary. Um, But, like, that was, like, the part of my recovery process of, like, me accepting what had happened. Mm -hmm. Because at first I was, like, there's no way I would have let that happen. Like, I'm a strong, physically, like, mentally independent woman. (laughs) I don't need no man. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I, like, really, truly believed that I would never put myself in a situation like that. And, like previously um when i was younger in high school like you hear stories of girls being raped or um sexually abused or even like verbally because like sexual assault is an umbrella term right um we're also gonna have to do something at the beginning that maybe discloses this so listeners know yeah now that i'm saying stuff like this um but yeah sexual assault is an umbrella term that encompasses oral vaginal anal penetration that's un wanted Mm -hmm. um as well as there's so many other terms like do you know what stealthing means no stealthing okay stealthing is when somebody without consent removes a condom during sex Mm -hmm. who knew that was a thing and the crazy thing is you get people when you tell them that who are like oh yeah that happens all the time which is like oh my god devastating yeah and other people that are like people do that that's a thing ew right um so it's totally like like some people just don't know that that's what stealthing is called um but then same thing like unsolicited nudes profanity public um, nudity that's like also sexual assault or like verbally sexually assaulting someone like catcalling even right right so it's like this huge umbrella term and i think that i don't being a survivor of sexualized assault, I don't believe that one is more harmful or less harmful than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it just makes me more aware of other instances where I'm like, yeah, that's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I was like, there's no way that would ever happen to me. I'm 
15 and my friends telling me about how this girl at her school was raped when at a party or something and we were all like my club volleyball team we we're all like oh my gosh like I just wouldn't put myself in a situation where that is possible mm-hmm. and the thing is people don't put themselves in situations where it's possible I was in my own backyard um in my hot tub with my friends there wasn't one person there that night that I did not fully trust and I was under my parents' bedroom window. Like, I felt so safe. I wasn't drunk. I had had a couple drinks, but it had been a few hours since I'd had a couple drinks. I'm hanging out in the hot tub with my friends. Um, I said no. I said I'm not interested in this. I said I don't think this is a good idea. I left when I was alone with this person. Mm-hmm. I left the situation because I didn't feel safe. And he followed me and all my friends were gone. And then my brain went into, I think we always learn about like fight, flight or freeze, but we don't learn about the freeze. Mm -hmm. So like, here I am, the science person, like fight or flight. I didn't do either. Like, okay, maybe I flight from the situation when he's like laying on top of me and I'm like, no, I'm cold. Like, I want to get out of here. Like I'm cold. Where is a safe place with my friends in the hot tub Mm -hmm. and they're not there. And um, the freeze is what my body did. So like the other part that I was like so confused about was that I didn't remember it all because when my body froze, my brain chose to protect me. And every time I say this, I still have to convince myself because like when people ask you questions, it's hard not to doubt that. Um, so I... I froze and all I remember is like looking up at the stars and like being like, Oh my God, what would my parents think if they came outside? If they like looked out their window right now, like, I don't really know what's happening. No, like couldn't move. Don't really remember anything. Um, yeah. So I think that that was such like reflecting on that. That's such a powerful like example of how, People don't put themselves in situations for bad things to happen. Bad people take advantage of others in situations. Um, And I don't even think that necessarily people are bad. I think people make bad decisions that lead to taking advantage of others. Right. But I don't think there was anything... I don't think that there was anything I could have done differently or like put myself in a better situation. Like, okay, what am I going to do? Not go to that party at 5 PM. Cause I'm like worried about what's going to happen eight hours later. Yeah. Like you can't live with that fear. So like, how are we going to counteract that? Like, how do we make it more safe? Because I put myself in a safe situation. So, like, how do we make it safer for everybody so that that doesn't happen when people... And it's not just women. My cousin... I probably shouldn't say that. But um, somebody was telling me about how they... Someone disclosed to them about 
being sexually assaulted and they were a male and they were like, yeah, this girl just like, like made me have sex with her. Mm-hmm. And it was in an environment that's like a very a misogynistic maybe environment. And it was very much like, oh man, like, yeah, buddy, like good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, I am very open with this person that I was having this conversation with. And um, so he knew about my experience and was like, whoa, like it can, that's like not okay. Like, are you okay? Kind of thing. But a lot of people don't associate that maybe in society with like being a possibility is that the dude didn't want to have sex. Yeah. The male, the male identified didn't want to have sex. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that by having, okay, maybe I have, maybe I had that conversation too late with this person um, and they weren't able to like, positively benefit it but now that i've had this conversation like yeah men get raped too men get raped by women like people that rape others aren't just males females can rape males females can rape females i mean the statistics on those are lower yeah it's not binary it's not yeah exactly but it's also the most underreported crime when um like sexualized violence. So statistics for them are probably vastly uh, in like smaller than they underrepresented. are. Underrepresented. Yeah, underrepresented, which is what's messed up. Yeah, I think a lot of that's cultural too. Like mm-hmm. I think, I actually think you used a word that was like really, really cool when I first heard it because you started doing a lot of stuff with the Me Too movement and I think the mm-hmm. coolest thing that came out of that, for me at least, was referring to people who had been sexually assaulted as survivors as opposed to victims or anything like that. Yeah. I, to me, that was, I have, I have, I have moments sometimes where like something will happen. I'm just like, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. Like, that's so cool that we're taking that step in society or someone does something cool. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. but that, that was one of the things that I had the internal dialogue. It was probably external actually, because a lot of the time I'm just like, (laughs) I just accept it. I'm like, it's like, that was, that's so cool. That's such a cool way to, to see someone like that, to see anyone that's been the quote unquote victim, turning that into a survivor. So that they're powered. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that's been a huge part of my personal recovery process. And that's, so I do do a lot of work with, um, the me too movement or more so, um, the, I believe you campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm actually currently sitting on a committee that's evaluating the TRU sexualized violence policy, which is a relatively new policy within our university. Um, But like, I think it was two or three years ago that it was mandated that every university in at least British Columbia, if not Canada, has a policy on sexualized violence. Um, And so it's kind of cool. I get to evaluate that and we're like moving forward in a pretty positive direction, I think. Um, But for me, like part of my recovery process has been like I'm I feel empowered when I'm a like I identify as a survivor mm-hmm. um, other people are going to identify as victims and that's okay because that's their that's their recovery process right um, so like me personally I believe in the empowerment of survivors that's why I prefer to use that term 
And that's why I encourage others to use that language surrounding the topic. Mm -hmm. Um, But hey, if somebody wants to identify as a victim of rape or sexualized violence, that's also totally okay. Because when we come back to the locus of control, um, that's what's totally stripped of you in that time. Yeah. Right? So I had zero control when I was raped. It was taken away from me entirely. And it was my control was taken away for the like eight plus months after that because I couldn't comprehend what happened. So I still had no control over it. So the number one way to respond to disclosures or in as someone trying to like promote positive social responses to that Mm -hmm. um, is to like, okay, so with my, the, I believe you campaign, we promote saying, I believe you because having someone else doubt you. So I had, thankfully it was like later on in my recovery process, but I disclosed to a friend, a really good friend. um, And she was like, Oh my gosh. Like, were you guys drinking? I was like, yeah. But if that's the first thing you hear in your recovery process, then you're going to blame it on yourself because you were drinking. Right. Were you drinking was the question. Right. And then it's like, oh, like, well, were you like in a bathing suit? Like, yeah, I was in a hot tub. I was wearing a bathing suit. What am I supposed to wear? Like my jeans and a t-shirt? Yeah. Like, are you going to ask somebody else if they were wearing, oh, a dude was sexually assaulted in a hot tub. Were you wearing your bathing suit? Probably. Yeah. Um, And then she asked me like, did he like, cause I use the term sexual assault because the word rape is like really uncomfortable for people to hear. It's a really strong word. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very powerful. Um, but I do think that it is a word that I try to use consciously and, um, I don't use it lightly, mm-hmm. um, situationally as well, based on who I'm having this conversation with. Um, so I was telling her that I had been sexually assaulted. And she was like, well, like, did he, like, have sex with you? And, like, we did not have sex. That was not a mutual act because I never gave him any, like, okay, first of all, consent needs to be, like, verbal. Mm -hmm. But, like, I didn't even give him any nonverbal cues or any social, like, response that possibly could have meant that I was interested in anything like that. Yeah. Right? And so the language when we talk about those conversations has to change from like, um, when I describe it a lot of time, I'm like, well, I was laying on, on my lawn looking at the stars and he like was touching me and then he like rolled on top of me Mm -hmm. and was kissing me. And my counselor, like one of the huge things that like clicked, I don't click, but like I try to remember now is like, he wasn't kissing you. He was shoving his tongue down your throat. Right. Yeah. Because I was not kissing him back. Yeah. Like language selection seems like a really important thing mm-hmm. with coping. Totally. And like for me, maybe less so now, but it's something that I try to be really aware of because if I use the correct and appropriate language when I speak about it, um, being someone who is like moderately literate within the topic, because mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in sexualized violence literacy. Heck no. There's so much more I have to learn. Um, but I think that okay, if I use the appropriate language, then hopefully other, like you notice that I use the term survivor. Yeah. Like how awesome is that? And hopefully other people pick up on that. Um, 
and if not then like hey maybe like i'm comfortable now pointing out like hey actually like i prefer when we refer to them as survivors because for me that's what works and like i'm trying to empower these people to have these conversations that are really hard right i'm sure you've had that issue before oh yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) definitely um and that's like a hard conversation to have because especially in earlier times within my recovery i was like oh my gosh like i wasn't necessarily comfortable identifying as a survivor of sexualized violence Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was like, how do I tell them that I don't want to be called a victim? And they weren't necessarily calling me a victim. They were calling like, Hey, like Kendra is supporting this movement of sexual, like survive, like uh, sexualized violence victims. Mm -hmm. Right. And Hey, you're not directly calling me a victim, but I am a victim of sexualized violence and I like to be referred to as a survivor. So it's hard not to like, okay, they're not directly talking to me, but like, how do I not associate with that? Yeah. So it is like something that I struggled with before I was like openly identifying myself as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and once, and now that I am able to, and it's, it's, I'm able to like identify as that now because I have had so many positive responses um, from disclosing. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, how I took my control back. And so, like, I slowly started taking my control back by telling, like, one person at a time. So, like, um, I, like, first would tell, like, one friend. Or maybe I had, like, unknowingly disclosed to someone when I was re-traumatized. Mm-hmm. like reopening that conversation and being like hey like we never talked about this but like this is what happened and that's why i was weird or in that weird place right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah um and then it like because i received positive responses i was able to move forward and like okay a really big part for me was like telling people where i'm from telling my friends from high school because it was someone, um, the perpetrator was someone I went to high school with. Um, and so for me, I don't really talk to anybody from high school anymore Mm -hmm. because I associate it with them and like, they're still friends. So I don't want to affect their judgment of this person when really like, fuck that guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I still, I'm not there yet Right. where I'm like comfortable enough to do that. And maybe one day I will be, one day I won't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, but okay, telling that first person from back home was huge. Yeah. And their response made me feel empowered to be able to tell the next person from back home mm-hmm. and so on and so on. And um, I finally, two years later, reopened the conversation with my mom. Nice. Um, which was a huge step that I like couldn't break the barrier of for yeah. so long. Because, like, first of all, sex isn't really something that I talk about with my parents. Right. I don't know. A lot of um, children that talk about that with their parents. It's kind of like a vulnerable, intimate thing. Um, let alone being raped with their parents. Right. Um, and so I finally got to that place where I was able to, like, open that up. Because my mom was someone that I, like, accident not accidentally told, but told circumstantially. Mm-hmm. 
because she was like, what is going on? <laughs> and I was acting really weird. Right? Yeah, 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 totally. And I was super drunk and I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like this <laughs> happened and I, I said no. And then I don't know. And she's like, holy fuck. Right. Yeah. But then we never talked about it again because mm-hmm. I didn't want to. And she respected that boundary. Right. Um, but I think it was weird. It put a lot of strain on our relationship for two years, mm-hmm. which is sad. But I still love my mom, and she's pretty awesome. So. Nice. Yeah. But basically, um, I think for me, I hope that we can continue having these conversations, mm-hmm. like whether it just be you and I or somebody else. And like I hope that people know that I am open to having conversations about it. Um, whether it's about my personal experience, maybe be respectful of when you ask me about it. I'd appreciate that. Right. Um, but about your personal experience, like anytime I'm, I'm there and if you need any support or any resources or anything, like that's what I want people to know. Um, and I hope that by having those conversations with other people, I make them more comfortable with the topic so that when sexualized violence in any form comes up, um, they feel comfortable or maybe not comfortable, but they feel prepared enough to be able to have that conversation with somebody else Mm -hmm. and give them that positive response so that they can move forward in their healing process as well. Um, Yeah, so I, I recently started that. I talked to a team of 12 ish um high school girls it just was like an opportunistic thing the the situation is kind of they wanted me to hang out with them we're hanging out and they're asking me about my love life and i was talking about my love life and obviously this is like a pretty impactful thing within my love life right yeah um because like it connects a lot with intimacy which is a big part of love and stuff yep um and so, yeah, I, I opened up with them about it and told them that I had been sexually assaulted. Um, and the, I felt, okay, maybe I've, I've, come, I've accepted it now. But at first I was like, oh, man, did I do the right thing? Because all these girls are in high school. But I'm, like, so convinced that I did do the right thing because these are people that are going into situations where they're going to be safe or feel safe. And people are going to make bad, other people are going to make bad decisions that are going to drastically affect these girls' lives. Right. Or these boys' lives or whoever's life. So the fact that they know it happens and that it's not okay that it happens, but like they're going to be okay if it does happen, mm-hmm. I think is like going to be really impactful, hopefully, on their life. No, go back. Can you? Okay, go. Get the bottle. Get the bottle and run! <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think i think a huge thing is just about being able to talk to at least one person any traumatic thing that's happened in my life after i found that after i talked to one or two people about it mm-hmm. it just becomes exponentially better in terms of like my feeling of it and how how much i can talk to other people about it as well mm-hmm. which i think is really really important like mm-hmm. the more that you can talk to people then the more normalized it becomes for you and also the more that it becomes normalized on a stigma basis, mm-hmm. which I think is like one of the most important things. Like, can you feel normal? And then can you normalize the conversation? 
And I think that that's what the like big movement about mental health has done is like normalize the conversation around mental health. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So like seeing how huge of steps we can take in that front, like why are we not doing that in other areas that are like equally as important? Yeah. And like we alluded to the idea that in mental health, maybe the terms depression, and anxiety are being overused, but maybe misused. I think that's a better yeah, and they shouldn't necessarily be devalued. Exactly, yep. But yeah. the conversation around it maybe needs to be more literate and like, like I feel really anxious or I feel really depressed. Okay, like, why do you think you feel that way? Yeah. Like, let's talk about that. Like, oh, man, I'm, I'm there for you. Like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Like, how can I help you? Like, how do you want to, what do you want to do about this? Or yeah. like, do you want to do something about it? If you don't want to do anything about it, then that's okay too. Yeah, totally. But like we can do something about it if you want and like being able to say that that's how you feel or mm-hmm. that's what you're going through is important. Yeah. Like I think there's a huge difference. Like we talked about, I think there's a big difference between um, like chronic, um, like chronic depression and diagnosed depression from like classic depression that you feel when it gets like a little bit dark out and you're not hanging out with your friends as much and school's kind of kicking in and, like there, I think there's a difference between clinical anxiety and, and actually they like I think there's a difference between there there are tons of different a anxieties different, yeah. in the, in the DSM five there are like tons of different ways to define everything but I do think that the but the more we talk about it the more that we can start to categorize things because more people come forward and yeah I think there's a difference between classical daily anxiety that I think mm-hmm. tons of people feel like I feel anxious like probably. 70% of the time. Yeah, totally. Whether it's, I feel secondhand anxiety a lot, which is kind of funny. Like feeling anxious <laughs> about how someone else makes someone else feel. I'm like, oh my God, that person just made them feel like shit. Oh, now I'm really uncomfortable and really like yeah. worrying about it. Um, like, how does that person feel? Oh no. But I think there's a difference between that and chronic anxiety mm-hmm. that you feel all the time that you wake up with it. Like, oh no, no, no. Um, but I think that it's it's important to talk about it just because... I think that once you hit that paradigm shift of like never talking about it to talking about it all the time, I think talking about it a lot more is a healthier place to be in right now just because it's such a, like you said, it's one of the most underrepresented statistics available. 100%. And I think that's exactly why we need to start talking about it as a society. And it takes a few people to start talking about it. Mm Mm-hmm for it to become like a huge movement. And I think there have been huge steps forward with the like me too movement on social media and the I believe you movement. Um, and it's not that I think they stopped, but I think that it was kind of like a, a big wave that had no like continuous flow to it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a constant lapping at the shore. Yeah. I think that's the unfortunate thing about big media yeah. Um, like big media uh, projects. Um, Movements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that I think that they have a lot of lots of sizzle or lots of bang and but they don't continue for a very long They're time. They're not that like slow burning coal on the fire. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's a firework. Yeah. Which like is the best for cooking your marshmallows. Totally. <laughs> no, I want marshmallows. <laughs> but yeah. I definitely think that um, it's something that and I, I do think that it. I think that what the initial firework does is allows a few people to really jump onto the idea and become 
big parts of its growth mm-hmm. because then I think when it the when the exponential growth dies off and goes back to a little bit higher of a baseline, I think the people that were sparked by the initial firework are what maintained the growth of the baseline. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with that. And I think that like there's no part of me that was ever like, yeah, like I want to be this, like I really want to like make this huge impact. And I don't think that I am, mm-hmm. but I believe that the little impacts that I make in, upon individuals within my like individual conversations are impactful on their lives. And I think that is what, that's what I want to do. I don't want to be like, like spearheading this huge movement about like, I don't know, throughout the city of Kamloops and throughout like the, et cetera. Like, no, I don't want to do that. That like kind of, takes away from what I want to do because I want us to be able to have intimate conversations about it that are meaningful and that are beneficial. So I think that those big movements have made it okay for me to have those little conversations. Yeah. If that makes sense. And I think it's also one of those things that like I never considered a profession in counseling until I was like, oh shit, like something bad happened to me. Mm -hmm. And it's not that something I don't know. You can look at however you want. Like this thing happened to me and I've like grown immensely from it. So is it a bad thing? Like not really, but somebody did a really shitty thing to me. Right. So is it a bad thing? I don't know. Maybe like now I don't view it as a bad thing, but at the time I was like, this is really fucking sucks. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Like that was a time in my life where I was like, in a state of depression mm-hmm. where it's like, I can't get out of bed and go to practice. Like I can't eat breakfast, lunch or dinner, which is weird. Cause I love food. <laughs> like what the hell's going on with me? Yeah. Right. And then that sense, like I had a reason to feel depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and like when I go home to my, like, oh, it's so sad. Cause my home is so lovely. Um, and my parents are so awesome, but like I get a lot of anxiety when I go home, Cause I'm like, who am I going to see? What happens if I look at the hot tub? Right. What happens if I like go to the compost and have to walk through my backyard? Like, am I going to get triggered? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I've like done enough healing that it doesn't happen, but like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so like, I feel a lot of anxiety around that. And so I don't know. I, I just want other people. I want us to be able to have these conversations so that other people don't have to feel that way. Yeah. Other people don't have to feel that confusion. Other people can be like, oh, like I did do everything right. And like, this sucks. Yeah. But like, there's going to, there's like a blue skies ahead, you know? Yeah. Like, I want them to know that they can move forward in whichever direction they want to. Like, lots of people I know don't talk about it. And they've had exact same similar experience to what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Most people don't talk about it. And that's totally cool too. I just want them to know that if they want to, they can. And that if they want a different avenue of recovery, there are those other avenues. Whether that's seeing a counselor or a group counseling or like going to the doctor. I don't know. Yeah. There's this really cool thing I think more people should know about. Mm-hmm. It's called third party reporting. Yeah. Have you heard of it? No. So third-party reporting is this... Um, I think the reason that it's, uh, sexualized violence is underreported is because people don't want to go through the re-traumatization of reporting it. 
Yeah. Right. There's a stigma that like, okay, if I like file this report of rape against this person, I'm going to have to go to court and they're going to overanalyze everything that I did and tell me all the things that I did to put myself in a position and like that it wasn't rape. Right. Or that like I did something wrong and deserved it. Yeah. And I think that's everybody's impression, if not worse, going into that. Because like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's taken me two years to be like, it wasn't my fault even though I was wearing a bathing suit. It wasn't my fault even though I had a couple drinks. And we're talking like, I had like four drinks and I that was over a seven hour period. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, I'm a pretty large person, can drink a lot more than seven drinks if I want to get really drunk. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was confused. Like, why didn't I remember anything? Did I get drugged? No, <laughs> I don't think so. I also didn't have, like the next morning, like I, <laughs> I went upstairs after my friend was in my bed. She's like, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know. And like, just went to bed. Yeah. Um, so like most people don't go to the hospital to get the rape kit done. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. Majority of people aren't going to do that. That's not what I was thinking at all. I was just like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, totally. And I think the majority of people are probably in that same situation. I think when we think of rape, it's like this huge violent crime that happens with like screaming and yelling and like limbs flying and whatnot. Yeah. And like for me, it was like totally silent in the stars. Holy fuck. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like the whole going to court process would be really, um, I would find that really traumatizing as well because I think that a lot of the times I just understand how fallible memory is and how easily people could switch your, like, yeah, like corrupt your perspective and like switch your perspective, kind of like that external voice becoming the internal thought. Like, I feel like people could do that so easily, especially with that. We're like, or like twist your words and make them mean something that you didn't realize had separate meanings. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That's, and that's why people don't report it is because first of all, they're not prepared to go through the re-traumatization. Second of all, half the time they don't even know what's happened until months, months later. Right. So they have no evidence. Yeah. So then how are they going to hold this up in court? Anyways, third party reporting. Third, third party reporting. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Third party reporting is super cool. So, you don't have to rep- so when you make a formal report you have to go to the police and report to the police and they launch an investigation mm-hmm. third party reporting you report to a third party who is a counselor um generally not all the time right um and then they file this report for you and it's like a hidden report oh my gosh pardon me um so this hidden report um it then is just filed and you keep on living your life how you would have without filing a report. Mm-hmm. Just keep doing you. Um, and this report stays there until somebody else files a f- report of similar content against the same perpetrator. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then it like flags your file. And then this third party, again, like nothing to do with the police, mm-hmm. third party be like, hey, like just so you know, I don't, I'm sure there's like a much more formal process that is involved. Um, but they would, you would, be contacted and informed that hey the like perpetrator who i mean obviously it helps if you 
uh, have a name or like a description of your perpetrator. Totally. It would be different if you had like zero idea. Um, but like still totally possible. You can still totally report it like this. Yep. Um, and so that is then, so the third, yeah, the third party comes back to you and is like, Hey, would you like to support the other person who reported against this person? Mm-hmm. And you can go and support it to be like that secondary person as evidence that it's a recurring offense, which is super empowering. And this can happen like the next week, but it might happen like 10 years later. Yeah. They use it a lot for cold case files. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about it in our psychology class. So I think that's super cool and um, empowering. It's just tough because there, there's like in Camelops, there's one lady who does it mm-hmm. um, and she works for KSAC, the Camelops Sexualized Assault Center. Um, she's on TRU campus once a week. I believe it's Tuesdays between like noon and two or 11 and one, something like that. Yep. Um, out of the medical center. Um, but they have similarly, like they don't have any in Squamish. So you have to go through Vancouver, but you can report like I could third party report in Kelowna an offense that happened in Vancouver. Okay. So yep. you can report it. They would just send it to that that um jurisdiction yeah exactly the office um okay reporting there so i think that's like a really cool thing that people don't know about and i think would be utilized more if more people knew about it yeah um so that's like a really cool resource um the other place people can find that information um especially for the lower mainland vancouver area is the WAVA website. So it's Women Against Violence Against Women. Mm-hmm. So it's W-A-V-A-W.com. That's a palindrome. <laughs> yeah, cool, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so on there, there's a contact sheet, um, a contact, and you can contact them and just ask for the person to third-party report to in Vancouver. Um, likewise, there's one in Kelowna. Um, and they have a special term. It's like the community. I can't remember the... There's a, like... Yeah, they have a special name, but I'm sure if you just ask for someone to third-party report to, anybody could access that resource, which is highly valuable. Do you think that's good for? Do you think that that's good for coping, um, doing a report? I mean, I guess it would be subjective, but mm-hmm. mm, again, like totally depends on you and your decision. Right. Um, for me, it's something that I'm like working towards still. Mm-hmm. I still haven't made my third-party report. Um, but that's the cool thing about it is you can do it anytime afterwards the event happens. Um, I I want to make a third-party report because for me, I think it would be empowering know that, knowing that like if this person does anything to anybody else, like I can help that other person. Right, yeah. Um, I think that it can be an empowering thing to feel like you have done something without having to go through the re-traumatization of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's very empowering to feel like you've taken that step towards reporting, whether or not you want to report or not. Because the other thing you can also do is like 10 years later, you'd be like, hey, I want you to open that file. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Um, which is cool. So I do think it's a valuable thing. I think it's just a valuable thing to people to know about and have the option to do mm-hmm. which i think yeah which it's just like a really 
great way to report without having to go to the authorities and deal with it right away and the traumatization that goes along with that. That's I, why I think it's such a valuable thing. Yeah, I think that's a really cool thing just because yeah, you can kind of do it and keep going on with your life without... Because I feel like that would greatly impact you to open a Not greatly impact you, but to open a case against someone and go through all that procedure mm-hmm. would be potentially tough depending on where you're at in your life. But being able to just have something on record and... Yeah, totally. I think, that, I think that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. The other cool thing that I used... Um, was there's this program called Crime Victims Assistance Program, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be for sexualized violence. It can be for any crime, mm-hmm. um, like violence or any criminal thing that happens to you, um, which was also re-traumatizing um, because I had to... So, like, basically what it, I received through the government, this program, I received uh, free counseling sessions. Yeah. So I was really lucky to have like connections that like knew about these things and were like, yes, like, like we're going to help you apply for this. Cause there's no way I would have been able to do it by myself. I had to write a letter of like my experience mm-hmm. two, three months after it happened. I had to write a letter to the people that I didn't know about what happened as like evidence that I had been traumatized. So, oh my like, god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So like that sucked, um, but I was so fortunate to have like support systems there. And at the time, oh my god! Like there, I that year. Um, so every year for the team, we like vote on captains, um, and I w- talked to my coach. He was one of the more like recent pe- like people that I first disclosed to mm-hmm. um cause I was like hey like in tears I was like I don't even know what's going on in my life right now like I was this like this happened to me and I don't know if I can deal with myself let alone like be a leader for your team yeah cause the previous year I had been selected as a captain and so I was like I don't know if I can do that cause like I can't handle my own self um, and he was like, Hey man, that's like, I'm so sorry. Like obviously helped me get to the resources that I needed to, mm-hmm. but also was so supportive in the sense of like, you just like do you like you keep me posted with where you're at. And that was like a roller coaster of a year because there were days where I was like so low, like, Oh my gosh. And days where I was yeah, I don't know. It was like a roller coaster of a year. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of like I feel very fortunate to have had volleyball as an outlet because that year volleyball became instead of being this thing that I always overanalyzed and like was always thinking about volleyball, volleyball, volleyball. Volleyball was the outlet and the place that I didn't have to think about the rest of my life. Yeah. Which was like I think a pivotal part in my like athletic career. Mm-hmm. Um, and brought like a lot of stabilization into my game. Whereas like, this is just a game. Yeah. Like real life is other stuff and you're so lucky to have this. Right. And that like, that was like therapeutic in a sense as well, because it was like two hours a day where all I had to do was like play volleyball and like think about volleyball. I didn't have to think 
have that like internal monologue of like you're okay you were raped you're okay you were sexually assaulted it's okay it wasn't your fault it wasn't your fault it wasn't your fault Mm -hmm. so yeah i just really hope that everybody and I, I know that I'm like so lucky. I know I'm one of the few that has all those resources. That's what. That's why I want to be able to talk about it with other people. Because mm-hmm. I know that like, I'm one of those few people that was so fortunate to have, whether or not I told the right people first, just by chance, or whether or not I, yeah, just had cool like fortunate support systems in my corner. I don't know, but I know that the majority of people don't have what I had when I, like, finally, like, decided to come forward with my confusion. Yeah, access to resources seems to be quite pivotal in... 100%. And so, like, that's why I think if we can talk about it more and people can be more okay discussing it as, like, people receiving disclosures. Mm -hmm. Because that's, like... If you're receiving a disclosure, you are a huge part of this person's recovery. Right, yeah. And, and I don't think, and I think that's why we need to be more comfortable talking about it is because if you're uncomfortable and you're like, oh shit, like, what do I say? This person was raped. Like, holy fuck, like, what do I do? Like, they might not have said they were raped, but like, they said that this person had sex and they didn't want to have sex with them. Like, that's rape. Or like, what do I say? What do you say? I had a friend come out of the closet to me over the summer mm-hmm. and it was basically what I said was like, cool. That's friggin' awesome, man. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Cause that's normally, I don't like to impose my perspective of like, that's awesome. Or like, mm-hmm. that's horrible. Like I would never say that's horrible to someone that comes out of the closet. But, <laughs> but if someone were to come up with like a broken leg or they, they're pregnant or something, I'd be like, how do you feel about it? Mm-hmm. Rather than like imposing my own, like projecting my own personality onto the situation. I'd like to, just kind of dig into what they think. So yeah. um, this is actually a good time. What, like, what would you, what did you like from people that came, that you came forward to and what did you not like and what would you potentially like to have been asked slash said that was not? Um, so this is part of like the I Believe You campaign that I've been working on mm-hmm. um, is supporting how to best support survivors. And that's part of the policy as well is like it's got to be survivor centered mm-hmm. um and so when someone is disclosing to you try and remember that like the best thing for them is to have control over the situation so give them like they're probably gonna be confused so for me okay what was the best for me let's like solidify yeah um um so for me it was like Kenny, like, that's not okay. Like, what he did was not okay. Like, you're, like, what, what do you want to do about it? Um, you know, I, I know someone you could see if you want, or I, I have some resources if you want. Um, like, I believe you, right? That's the whole, that's the whole premise of the I Believe You campaign is, like, believing someone is empowering and, if you believe them, then they're going to believe in themselves and they're going to be able to take their own steps. So like knowing that, yeah. So like for me, it was people that like, Oh my gosh, like I believe you. I'm so sorry this happened to you. 
um, like, how can I help you? Or, and, it, and a lot of time people are going to be like, I don't know. <laughs> like for me, I was like, the first time I told somebody, oh my gosh, God bless my little brother. <laughs> my poor little brother. He's like the strongest, most loving person that I know. Cool. Um, I was like drunk and I was like, this happened. I don't know what happened. He was like, oh my God, Kendra, are you okay? Like, that's not okay. Like, that's not okay, Kendra. Like, and I was like, is it not okay? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I was like, yeah, totally. I, okay, like, crying. <laughs> like, mm. I don't know. And he's like, like, you're going to be okay, but like, that's not okay. And like, I'm here for you. You let me know what you need, kind of thing. Mm. And that was like so helpful. Um, other people, my, uh, like one of my biggest mentors and she was like probably why I got through hundred percent of everything <laughs> that I have like moved forward through. Mm. She was like, Hey, like it's, it's okay. Like you're going to be okay. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Like you want to come over for a coffee and we'll talk about this. And I was like, I don't know. She's like, come over and hang out. And so she gave me that like door to like, she opened the door for me to talk about it. Right. Um, which was helpful. Um, so yeah, I think that empowering them to take the choice that they want to take with the movement too. Like I know lots of people that didn't ever want to see a counselor and are dealing with it in a different way than I did. And that's perfectly awesome. Mm -hmm. That's like so cool. And I, I totally admire and respect those people and I I don't think any less of them for making that decision because and I don't think anybody should think any less of them for ta- making that decision because that's what they need to do. Right. And that's so, I don't know, I have a huge admiration because like for me, I'm like huge like blah, blah, blah. I need to talk about everything mm-hmm. in my life no matter what. Um and so, like, I think that those people are so strong because they've been able to, like, deal with it on their own terms and, like, figure out what worked for them by themselves. Mm-hmm. And I just want them to know that they don't have to do it by themselves, but if they want to, they can. Cool. Cool. Heck yeah. No, I love that, man. All right, do you want to cut there? Yeah. <laughs> All right, come here. Come here. Stop it. I know. <laughs>